Welcome to the Enchanted Ears Podcast, where we discuss anything and everything Disney. I'm Angela. And I'm Joe. And on today's episode, we're talking about the Muppets, the history of the Muppets, the history of the Muppets with Disney, because the Muppets go back way before Disney. So we're, yeah, we're kind of going full history with the Muppets here. I mean, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to lie. Researching this one was a bit of a monster. Um, there's a lot there. Um, but before we get into that, touch on some Disney news. Hopefully nothing crazy happened because quite honestly, we're recording this one early because we are in Disneyland. And so we wanted to get this one uh, recorded and done before we went to Disneyland. So the news may be a little bit old and there may be some big news that we just completely missed and we'll talk about next week. But the news is that we are getting a Christmas party at Walt Disney World. So it is called Disney Very Merriest After Hours event. So it's not Very Merry Christmas Party. It does mention that you're going to get Minnie's wonderful Christmas time fireworks. So we're going to have fireworks as part of the after hours festivities. It's a four hour event uh, over at the Magic Kingdom. I think that's good. I think that's great. I mean, it's not really a surprise necessarily because we're getting a, a Halloween um, one, um, but we are getting Christmas. Again, it's interesting that it's just an after hours, what, Disney's very merriest after hours what, event, not it, a full Christmas party. Okay, I was going to say, what is what is the, so the full name of that is Disney's very merriest after, after hours. hours of, that is a mouthful. Yeah, so, but hey, we're getting fireworks. They're bringing back the um, projection mapping over at Hollywood Studios and over at Animal Kingdom, kind of on the Tree of Life and the Tower of Terror over there. So it seems like, Disney is kind of getting back into the holidays here. They did announce that the gingerbread houses will be back at the resorts this year. Um, so that's good. Again, kind of a, a step uh, towards normalcy. You know, everything's kind of tied into the, the 50th celebration, the most magical celebration on earth. Um, so that, you know, they're bringing a lot of this stuff back here as well. It's good to hear. Yeah, it is. Kind of launching off now into the Muppets. So it's really hard to talk about the Muppets without talking a lot about Jim Henson himself. He was brought up, he was a creative from the beginning, but he got a lot of his inspiration from, he had a, a grandmother who was very, very artsy and who kind of helped him, him to develop that. So he was already creating puppets when he was in high school. He then decided to go to college for home economics. So he started to make these puppets and he was doing a really good job. And even whenever he was still in college, he got, he was getting gigs and he got his first gig uh, or his first real show called Salmon Friends, which was a local TV show in Washington, D.C. from 55 to 61. And this is where we see our first iterations of Kermit the Frog. I know that was terrible, but... <laughs> you know, it, it's interesting because we talked to Kevin Lima, you know, a month or so ago, and he kind of started with puppets and marionettes and things when he was a teenager. That was kind of his first job, and he credits a lot of his success in directing to working on those shows of having to create the action and direct the action as well that you know, it kind of helped him later in life. And then you have Jim Henson, who, again, at a very young age, worked with puppets and, and really created this whole empire from it. It's almost like, hey, get into puppets, kids. Like, <laughs> you got a good shot. There's not a lot of people doing it, um, but if you do it well, there's... Sky's the limit for that's a, you. That's a good point. That's a good point. So, um, you know, from the Salmon Friends 
like what he was doing with that he started to actually get a, a some traction and he started to get some appearances on late night, night talk shows specifically the ed sullivan show um there were some ads that he did in the 1960s and then from those ads we kind of get some something else that he was really well known for which is rolf the dog appeared regularly on the jimmy dean show which first of all Jimmy, Jimmy Dean, Dean sausage. Yeah, uh, Jimmy Dean sausage. Did did not know he was a real person. Yeah, he was a real person. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting that Kermit and kind of the Muppets go all the way back to the fifties. Mm-hmm. And I, I will preface this whole episode by saying I don't know that I fully understand the Muppets, and I think we'll <laughs> we'll talk a little bit about this because they do have a long history, and I feel like people always get really excited anytime they mention they're doing something new with the Muppets. Like we're getting a Muppets haunted mansion theme special this year. And people are really excited about that. And Disney is always trying to do stuff with the Muppets. And I always feel like people get excited about, it, but then when it comes out, it never gains that commercial success. Like they have a really hardcore fan base from people that, you know, love the Muppets back in the day. And they'll always be like ride or die Muppet fans. But like I feel like younger generations, because the Muppet Show wasn't on, it just never really caught on. Like it's it's really it's almost like an acquired taste. Like if you were there and you grew up with them, you love them, and that's why Disney kind of keeps making stuff with them. But I also think they've never caught that huge commercial success, and that's why you don't see a larger presence, you know, in the theme parks outside where they are now. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Going back to those origins there. One thing that that I thought was really interesting, and I just, you know, because I didn't even realize that Jimmy Dean did more than sausage, he, Henson actually offered him a 40% stake in his company because he was so grateful for all the exposure because he was, I mean, Rolf the dog appeared in like 85 to 86 episodes of this show. And so he offered him like a stake in his company and Jimmy Dean refused and said, I didn't do anything to earn that. So I thought that was a really respectable nice thing uh, that I wanted to kind of just point out. Yeah, that is interesting because, yeah, he could have just taken a 40% stake and and really you know taken a lot, but but Jim Henson was able to retain it. It's interesting because you think of Jim Henson with the Muppets, at least I, I do, but he was also involved in a lot of other projects. I mean, really, any sort of kind of like puppet like that you know <laughs> of, like yeah. he was really involved in. And Sesame Street is the other big one. Now, he wasn't necessarily the creator of it, but he joined Sesame Street in 1969 and helped develop kind of all those iconic characters. Yeah, and he produced a lot of it, too. He created a lot of those characters, and I think that, you know, part of what why he did that, I think maybe he took even, like, lesser pay for doing it because he wanted to maintain ownership rights over over those characters, which was really smart on his part. It was, and I I will say this will kind of come back into play later, Mm -hmm. the fact that he did not fully own Sesame Street. So he owned 50% of Sesame Street as part of this partnership, and that kind of comes into play later on when Disney starts circling the company a bit. <laughs> yeah. One interesting thing though about his his, you know, what he was doing with puppets is Jim Henson never really saw puppets as just a ch- a children's thing, which was part of his problem with like not that he had a problem with Sesame Street, but you know, if you watch some of his the ads that he appeared in, there was a lot of violence and like 
puppets being blown up and things like that where there he thought that he wanted to make an adult like he wanted to make like puppets are not just for kids right so disney's not just for kids well right and i i I kind of almost see him as like an early version of what they did with cartoons you know when when my parents and our parents were were kids cartoons were only for kids but now you have things like bob's burgers and South, south park has been on and the simpsons and things like that that you know are really designed for adults but one thing that I didn't know, and maybe a, a lot of the, the listeners maybe don't know, is that he there were puppets that regularly appeared in season one of Saturday Night Live in a segment called The Land of the Gorch. So I, that blew my mind. And I think that was part of him, you know, trying to make puppets more for adults. Yeah, this this whole idea of him wanting to... Yeah, show that puppetry and stuff could be for a m- more mature audience and it wasn't just something that was relegated to children's programming. I think it's really interesting because when you were kind of telling me about this as you were researching it and you were saying how you know a lot of the ads he did and, and some of his early ideas for shows were, were very adult-themed and he had the puppets in them as kind of just a medium. He didn't necessarily see it as, again, focused solely on children. He saw it more as a medium for storytelling it made me think of the musical, the Broadway musical Avenue Q, which is a very adult themed musical that has puppets in it. And and I always thought that, I don't want to say disrespectful, I can't really maybe think of a better word, but that's, you know, they're kind of spoofing and putting down the Muppets almost and kind of puppets because they're, they're making them, you know, vulgar and adult. But hearing these stories, I, I almost feel like Jim Henson maybe would have appreciated that because they were using puppets kind of the way he wanted to, to to kind of tell more adult themes and stories. Well, right. And it's funny that you mentioned that because I actually read an article where his son, Brian, brings up the point that he thought that his father would love Avenue Q. So yeah, I think that that is a, that's a really interesting point. And I think it, it's something I think that he really struggled against. And I think that that's kind of, that's what I think I almost found to be one of the most fascinating things about researching this is just that he had this almost, it seemed like to me at least inner struggle with trying to make them happen and people not understanding him and his vision. Yeah. Well, it caused a lot of problems. I mean, he had early success here. Like we talked about, he was on Saturday night live, but as he kind of moved and pitched more TV shows, Again, he went more with the adult themes of them, and he had a couple shows that were passed on. Yeah, a couple pilots. Yeah, ABC actually passed on two different pilots in 74 and 75 because, again, it wasn't necessarily this family-friendly version of the Muppets that we know today. And so it it caused this period where he had success and exposure, but he really wasn't able to necessarily capitalize on it the way he wanted to. Right. And and in fact, ABC wasn't the only network that passed. Other US networks also passed. And actually, the Muppet Show only happened because Associated Television out of Britain gave him a shot. And this is where we finally he, he got he met his success. And we got characters like Miss Piggy, Gonzo, Fozzie Bear, Animal, because they gave him that start, it was syndicated into the US and then became wildly popular uh, because of the comedy and also because they, they got some amazing guest stars. I mean, Elton John, they Raquel Welsh. That, that's yeah. the most amazing thing. And you know, we're, we're watching a lot of the, the more recent Muppet shows on Disney Plus, and it is just crazy how many celebrities come on these shows again it goes to it's like a parade of them if you do something muppets 
People just come out of the woodwork. They want to be involved <laughs> on it and they want to be a part of it. Well, and I think part of the fascination is that they are puppets that like they seem real. Like I can only imagine filming there and seeing the puppeteers kind of work that magic behind the scenes and making those puppets come to life, doing the voices, doing the, the motion. And I'd have to imagine as an actor, that would be an interesting thing that you're acting with Kermit the Frog but yet there's an actor making Kermit the Frog that performance that you can't interact with him, you know? <laughs> and, and, and they're reading the lines and everything, but they're not looking at you. They're looking at a screen. Right. Yeah. So it, yeah, it, that it would, would be have almost to be, surreal. Yeah. That would have to be pretty amazing to be a part of that as, as a production. And again, the Muppets do have, you know, this storied history. So it is something, you know, you want to be a part of. I will say this, you know, kind of drawing parallels because this is a Disney podcast to Walt Disney, you know, it is interesting to see whenever you get these people in their industry, and we've talked about this with Disney a lot, and even people like Steve Jobs and things that are just like visionaries and just take a medium and do something different with it that nobody expected. So, you know, Disney really, he pushed hand-drawn animation. He did synchronized sound. He did, you know, Technicolor. He built theme parks. I mean, that didn't exist until he thought of it. <laughs> and, you know, Jim Henson maybe on a smaller scale, he did that with what he did with, with the Muppets. You know, he saw puppets as a medium to tell interesting stories, to reach people, to connect with people. And he built that and he just, he created these worlds that is pretty amazing. He did that. And I mean, he did it with more than the Muppets and we're going to get into later some of the other things that he created, but you know, he did um, Fraggle Rock. He did Dark Crystal. He had many other projects that maybe aren't as well known, but um, you know, I, I know I read somewhere in researching him, people did say actually his talent was like world building and, and designing that. So that's a really interesting point that you came up with there because yeah, he does, he, he seemed to have a mind that did not really work the way that most of our minds work. And he had the ability to kind of expand and do different things and kind of immerse you. Speaking of Disney, Disney, you know, has to enter the picture in here somewhere. And they started to have involvement in the late 80s with Jim Henson. And they started to kind of talk a little bit about acquiring the Jim Henson company. Yeah. And this was around the time of Michael Eisner. So Hollywood Studios had opened and the Muppets were a part of it. But, you know, very quickly, it became apparent that there wasn't enough to do at Hollywood Studios. It was basically... A, you know, back lot tour and a, a couple of attractions. There, there really wasn't much to do there. And so one of the ideas Eisner had was to build an expansion called Muppet Studios that was going to have their, they threw around a lot of different ideas. They talked about doing a great movie ride with the Muppets. They talked kind of like as a spoof on it. Right, exactly. They, they talked about a lot of different ideas, but a lot of it was predicated on Disney buying the Muppets because it was around this time in 1989 that Disney went into negotiations with Jim Henson to buy his company. The issue, and we kind of mentioned this at the beginning, was Disney wanted the Muppets and Sesame Street outright. And I think they reportedly, it was like $150 million is I think what around there what they were talking about. Mm -hmm. But the issue was Jim Henson didn't own 100% of Sesame Street. And so he was open to a lot of the, the terms of the deal and he was open to selling the Muppets, but he couldn't sell all of Sesame street. And so, you know, they, they couldn't 
agree on a deal. And then ultimately, and unfortunately, Jim Henson's untimely death in 1990 kind of put all talks to rest. And because Disney didn't own the Muppets outright and you know, the focus shifted to Paris Disneyland, this whole idea of Muppet Studios and a full-scale Muppet land in Hollywood Studios kind of fell by the wayside. Right. And so all we really got out of that was Muppet Vision 3D, which came in 1991 in MGM, which is now Hollywood Studios. Yeah. It's it's interesting to think like how Hollywood Studios would have been different if it had this Muppet expansion. Like, I wonder how popular that would still be today. Yep. They, they have Muppet Avenue. You know, it's a pretty small area they have pizza rizzo they have muppet vision 3d but it's basically kind of just a gateway to galaxy's edge and you know muppet vision 3d it's it's a great attraction it is kind of showing its age a little bit you can kind of tell they don't give too much love to it like i wonder if muppet studios and this expanded land would have still made it through today i, I kind of feel like unfortunately again I, I don't think the muppets have the popularity that it would have sustained that land i think it eventually it still would have gotten swallowed by Galaxy's Edge or something else, you know, yeah. in the meantime. Yeah, I agree. I, I just think, and you know, I haven't really talked about this much because I definitely, I dove pretty deep or not, you know, pretty deep into the Muppets. I, I watched the Muppets, the movie. I wa- I've been watching Muppets now. I watched a couple like other episodes of different things. And I, I, I'm kind of like you where it's like, I, I kind of get it, but I don't quite get it. And I think that what's a kind of a stopper for me is you have these puppets and a lot of them, you know, they're puppets and they're characters and I want to love them because they're cute, but I just don't like a lot of them. Like I can't stand Miss Piggy. I do not like her. I think that she is everything wrong with like, you know, the portrayal of female characters. She's a diva. Like I I just, I, I don't like her. Kermit seems just like almost like he just needs to make up his mind and either say, Hey, we're together or Hey, we're not, not do this thing. You where, don't like the will they won't they? No, I don't because it, it's to me seems like predicated on these, um, you know, old timey stereotypes of all oh, this woman just like driving me crazy. So I think a lot of that stuff didn't age well. And then also, I mean, just, there's a lot of them. I actually like the real flat characters that they don't have a lot going on. You know, they're, they're, don't, they don't have a lot of depth like Beaker and Animal. Like I, I think they're my favorite because I think that they're predictable and they're funny. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think the Muppets are strong in the side characters. Right. Definitely Kermit the Frog and Miss Piggy are, and Gonzo probably to an extent are the most popular. But I do think the Muppets are at its best when it kind of uses its its stable of characters. So like with you, you know, Beaker and and bunsen and i like rolf and animal like i feel like when they're kind of utilized it's funny i mean on on the newest show the swedish chef oh yeah his segments i think are the best part because i still think it's hilarious that he has human hands (laughs) and so like that always gets me and and his cooking segments on the new shows i think are the best so to your point miss piggy can be much sometimes so i i do think the muppets does better when they kind of lean on that stable of characters which again I don't think they get the popularity recognition because it's not, it doesn't hit the mainstream like it should, I feel like. Right. Yeah. I I think the funniest part of the Swedish chef, besides the fact that he has human hands, is the fact that 
if you listen to him closely, you can kind of make out what he says, but also he doesn't talk normally. And it's just, it's, it's really like just to hear the way he talks. It's, it's funny. It's, it's what I like about the Muppets is they have that slapstick comedy that kind of appeals to that childlike sense of, you just like to see, you know, like beaker get blown up or animal just being crazy. And yeah. So I, I think that, yeah, there's some, there's something there. Yeah. And I will say, you know, we are late eighties, early nineties kids. And, you know, if you look at the Muppet movie was in 79, the great Muppet caper was in 81. Muppets take Manhattan was in 84. Muppet Christmas Carol was in 92. A lot of this stuff is seventies and eighties. So I think if you're born in the seventies, I'd be, I'd be curious to hear from either our listeners or to see like, if there's, you know, a stat on this, like, you know, if you're born in the seventies, I bet you're more likely to like the Muppets than if you were born in the late eighties or nineties, you know, it, mm-hmm. it, I think it is somewhat of a generational divide. And I also think part of that has to do with Disney. I mean, I really do think Disney again, they, they try occasionally, but I, I, for some reason, I feel like they're not always putting their best foot forward. Like where, you know, Marvel and they brought star Wars back and like star Wars is everywhere. Now, they just can't seem to get the Muppets. Like, I feel like if they did it right, it would catch on with this current generation because it would have that nostalgia for the older generation. But I almost just feel like but, Disney is just not putting their best foot forward with the Muppets. But I do think it's hard because the most popular characters are also the ones that don't age as well. But you can change that. I mean, you could you could reboot. I think that's my point. You could reboot the Muppets for a more modern audience. Mm-hmm. I mean, Sesame Street... Yeah. Is like bigger than ever. Now Disney does not own them, but they're kind of bigger than ever because they changed with the times and they, you know, they cater to that specific audience, that youth audience, and it works. And you have adults that watch Sesame Street as a kid watching with their kids. And I feel like that's there with the Muppets in the same way, you know, Star Wars, what they're doing with the Mandalorian is kind of updating for a new generation while in the same way, kind of making it accessible to the generation that grew up with star Wars. And that's why it stays this huge phenomenon that like if Disney would have kept up with it. And I think, you know, unfortunately we talked about, you know, Jim Henson, he did pass away in 1990 from pneumonia, which is really bad. Right. Uh, You know, very unfortunate. You have to imagine if he would have been alive, you know, yeah, he was only 53 when he passed. Could have been huge. You know, I mean, they could have been much bigger. So it is interesting to see, you know, how Disney, they kind of sit on that property to a certain extent. Yeah, you know, and I do. don't, I don't think they fully utilize it. Right. Well, speaking of Disney, um, you know, how do they end up getting it? Well, eventually the Muppets do sell the Henson company sold to EMTV and merchandising AG, uh, which is a German company for, I was six- like, you could tell that's, I was like, that's a made up <laughs> company. Name if I ever heard it. $680 million. But then after that, their stock completely collapsed and the Henson nobody family, knew what they did <laughs> EMTV and merchandising. <laughs> and so the, the Henson family actually was able to reacquire the company minus the Sesame street character. So they lost control of those. And then eventually Disney was able to purchase the Muppets in 2004 and most of the film and TV catalog, as well as Bear in the Big Blue House, for reportedly around seventy-five million dollars, which seems to me like a deal. I would say that's a drop in the bucket um, for Disney, and 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 maybe that's why they're not as concerned with making their money back. When you pay four billion for Lucasfilm, you got to turn a profit quick. When you seventy-five million for Muppets, they probably made that back in merch in a couple of years. Right, but I mean, I think at first 
you know, Disney did try at least to get them off the ground. You know, they had the rides already in the parks. They have movies, which we are going to kind of briefly touch on and shows, but they also did like little series on Disney.com and YouTube, which I thought those were actually delightful. I checked out the Muppets Kitchen with Cat Cora. So you have Cat Cora who's cooking with Fozzie Bear and Angelo, who was a new Muppet chef, much in the same vein as the Swedish chef. And it was just an, it was an interesting little series that they created. And it was it was pretty funny. And another thing that they did was they did the Bohemian Rhapsody release, which if you haven't seen this, which I somehow managed to not see it. It came out in 2009. Yeah, in 2009. So that's pretty early, good. Early internet. Yeah, that's pretty early YouTube there. And it has over 100 million v- views and has won two webbies. And of course, the best part is the animal, um, particularly doing the mama. Like, or actually, let me do mama. <laughs> Um, it was that part is so funny. Like you probably don't even have to watch past that, but it's hilarious. So, you know, they were trying some new things there, uh, trying to get it off the ground. Yeah. And they also had a Muppets show from 2015 to 2016, which was kind of a, uh, mockumentary style and kind of the same vein as like modern family or, uh, parks and rec as well. That kind of followed the Muppets through like their everyday lives and kind of could see that they were producing like a late night show. Yeah, it's it's a Miss Piggy starred in this late night show and Kermit had broken up with her and they have to kind of work together. I mean, it's an interesting dynamic. I watched the first episode, but I will say it wasn't one that I wanted to kind of return to and watch. Well, it makes over sense. And over it was again. canceled after one season, so it didn't last long. But <laughs> but they've they've rebooted Muppet Babies uh, in 2018. That's still going on, and Muppets Now um, was in 2020. And this is these are all on Disney Plus. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So so you can go. You can go and check those out. Yeah. So they're they're still making new Muppet stuff. Like we mentioned, we're getting you know Muppets Haunted Mansion uh, Halloween special that's supposed to be coming out in you know 2021. I do think again they're trying to find something. I think if that Muppets Haunted Mansion one lands, I do think that's an interesting kind of angle for them to take. Almost have the Muppets overtake some sort of attraction at Disney World. You could do a whole series on that because I think that's very uh, good synergy there because it Mm -hmm. gets people interested in the Muppets, also people interested in the parks again. Again, I just think it's it's a matter of they they need to find something, yeah, that that really strikes a chord with audiences or find a better way to kind of integrate them in the parks. You you just kind of need a, a, like you said, they almost need an update, like like a little bit, like a little bit of a refresher Right. You know, it's, it's just to kind of get them back in the mainstream. Yeah, exactly. You know, there there have been some interesting things over the years. You know, we mentioned there were a, a slew of movies. There were a bunch of, uh, you know, a lot of TV shows. And again, I mean, the notable ones are, you know, The Muppet Show and The Jim Henson um, Hour, which was basically The Muppet Show rebooted. But there were some canceled projects along the way, which I thought were really interesting. So Henson actually worked with Nancy Sinatra on Broadway. And there were talks of doing a Broadway Muppet show, you know, like you mentioned, Avenue Q, but um, but it fell through, which I'm, I'm disappointed in because I think that Broadway definitely enjoys innovative ideas. And part of the reason why it did fall through is you'd be able to see, you know, a lot of the Muppeteers, although I'm not sure why they couldn't just put like a little stage to cover up them, the them moving around. Yeah, you know what? Like they did that with. I mean, Olaf, you could see right. that Olaf was controlled or even what they do in The Lion King with some right. of the animals. I mean, I think 
it would have been okay if you would have seen them. Right. I think that maybe they were concerned about that ruining the magic, but I think that would make it all the more intriguing because if you go on YouTube and watch any of the episodes about how the different Muppets work, this is fascinating. Yeah, that's what I was going to mention. Blows my mind. I've actually been calling them, you know, puppeteers and things throughout the episode, but they're actually Muppet performers. Right, not Muppeteers. Yes, yes. They're Muppet performers, the actors who control the Muppets. But yeah, I was going to mention that. I mean, there, there's a you know a couple you know different ways they control these different Muppets depending on what type of the Muppets are. But we will put a link in the description to one of the videos because they do have kind of like little featurettes on YouTube that show the behind the scenes mm-hmm. of, of them working these Muppets. And it is pretty fascinating to see. So I definitely recommend checking it out. Yeah, it's crazy. So there's several different kinds. Um, I, I kind of, I mean, just the fact that, you know, Jim Henson seemed to be able to come up with all these different kinds of Muppets. I assume that a lot of them didn't really exist. You know, there was the hand rod kind of Muppets, which are like Kermit the Frog, Miss Piggy, Gonzo, uh, Uh, Elmo there's a bunch of them but those are controlled by the hand so you have the Muppets one dominant hand goes up into the head controls the mouth and then the other hand goes and controls the hand rods and then in some scenes you know if you need two hands to operate separately you might have another Muppeteer Muppet performer (laughs) uh, come and operate the other hand then it gets a little bit more interesting with the the live hand Muppets so these are ones where the character's hands are actually gloves and then of course we have Swedish Chef who actually has hands so they're not gloves and this works in pretty much the same way where you have, you know, the non non-dominant hand, um, you know, maybe operating the left or the right hand. And then there is actually another performer who comes in and is the other hand in that case, which, so this is like Cookie Monster, Fozzie, Ernie, the Swedish chef, Rolf, uh, Dr. Bunsen Honeydew. And there's a whole bunch of other ones there. Swedish chef is the one exception to that because you need the hands to look uniform. So the person who does Swedish chef, there's one person who's the main person. So whenever he was invented, it was Jim Henson would do the mouth. And then Frank Oz was the hands of Swedish chef. Yeah, that I, I was going to mention that uh, it's, it's kind of a, an interesting factoid that Frank Oz worked with Jim Henson. And, you know, a lot of people probably know Frank Oz as a very famous puppeteer in his own right. He was Yoda. Yeah, uh, you know, in, in the Star Wars series, and so it is interesting that you know those two cross paths. I think it's you know probably not unexpected. Whenever again, you know, it seems like puppets is it's kind of a small world, but yeah, it's interesting that that he voiced uh, you know a lot of the Muppets um, and went on to do you know Yoda. Yeah, and and this is kind of an interesting thing where you have they're called like right handers or right hand performers, where a lot of these people who were the right hand, because again, your dominant hand is usually your right hand. I mean, you know, not everyone, but the person would control the left hand of the character with their left hand. So the person who is controlling the right hand, you know, they're learning the ropes. And so those are usually the people that would eventually filter in and become, you know, bigger players and it was kind of like their apprenticeship is learning how to operate and emote with that one hand and then finally there's the last kind of muppet which are the full body muppets so these are you know a combination of like puppetry plus you know just costumes so these are characters like big bird sweetums and snuffleupagus among others for example big bird he is a costume so you have somebody inside the legs and then the 
inner workings of Big Bird are just mind-blowing. So again, you have the right hand controlling the mouth of Big Bird. And also there's a little lever that helps that they can push with their fingers or pull with their fingers that has him blink. And then the left hand is through the Big Bird's wing. And that is there's a pulley system with that left arm. So whenever the performer raises their left arm, the, the right arm will go down because of the pulley system so that he's counterbalanced. So he looks, you know, animated. And then, of course, in a, a special scenes where he might need to hold something, something in his wing, then you might have another performer come in and do that uh, right hand. Yeah, that's probably the most fascinating thing is just uh-huh. what goes into building these characters and like you said making them work so that you know a human can animate them and create a performance and create a dynamic performance because you need the eyes to move and the arms to move you know everything has to look natural because like you said if both arms just constantly moved up and down in unison it would look odd or if their face you know muscles didn't move the right way it would look strange so just thinking through that level of detail to really make these characters come to life is, is pretty amazing. A a couple of just kind of facts just to wrap things up. You know, the Muppets, they are a pop culture phenomenon as much as we say, maybe not in (laughs) in our childhood. I mean, they are, they have their own star. Not my childhood. (laughs) They have their own star on the walk of fame. They've been on numerous, you know, TV shows, late night talk shows. They've hosted galas and thrown concerts and then one interesting thing, Angela, you found out was the first version of Kermit was actually made out of Jim Henson's mother's coat. Yeah. And so that that's a, like a little interesting fact. So we can see, you know, how far we've come since then. But yeah, you know, really interesting. Again, I did not realize the Muppets went as far back to the 50s. You know, strange to think that's the year Disneyland opened. Yeah. So the same year Disneyland <laughs> opened, you know, Jim Henson is kind of starting what he was doing with the Muppets to what we have today. It is kind of interesting to think like what would have happened if Jim Henson was alive longer? You know, what if Disney would have purchased them in 1990 and we would have gotten Muppet Studios, if we would have gotten a huge expansion? You know, that would have been a major piece of IP for Disney in the early 90s. Would they have really doubled down on that? Maybe they wouldn't have had to purchase Pixar later on. Maybe they wouldn't have had to purchase Marvel later on because they would have made the Muppets the the huge cinematic universe maybe we would have had the mcu would have stood for muppets cinematic universe instead of marvel cinematic universe so so we we would have a branch of the say a new branch of the sacred timeline here we would we would have a branch on the sacred timeline and that is a great segue to say that next week we're going to talk about loki the tv series not our dog yes not our dog i want to talk about the loki tv series that just wrapped up and also kind of you know we have three marvel tv shows in to date and I have some thoughts about them. I like them, but I don't know that I necessarily love them. I think they maybe could be better. So I kind of want to talk about that. Kind of want to talk about the future of Marvel TV and the MCU. So we will touch on that next week. If you have some questions or some thoughts about the show um, that you'd like us to answer or to kind of, you know, points you'd like us to bring up when we talk about it, head over to our website, enchantedears.com slash podcast question. Send us a question over there. Uh, And then in a couple weeks, we will also be covering our Disneyland trip recap. So if you have any questions that you want us to answer about Disneyland or about our trip, you can head over uh, to our website and ask a question about that as well. We will be answering that. But yeah, this was was really interesting to kind of learn about the Muppets. I feel like I understand them a little bit better. I definitely want to watch some more Muppet shows and I think give them a... A, a, fair fa- shake. a fair shake here 
Uh, and so, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm now excite, really excited about this Haunted Mansion Muppets. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing this special on Disney+. Plus. Uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully it works well and, and maybe we get some more stuff and maybe I become a huge Muppet fan. You'll have to eat your words like I did with the Tower of Terror. Yes, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> hey, I never said that I think the Muppets are terrible. I just said I don't think I grew up in the right time to be a diehard Muppet fan. I think in the same way that, you know, kids probably born 10 years from now are going to go, why do you like those Marvel movies so much? Because it's going to be a little bit past the prime. It's way too complicated now. There's 15 versions of Loki at this point. And so I have no idea what's going on. Well, so, let me say that that our dog Loki is my favorite variant. I would agree with that. So all right, I want to thank everybody again for listening this week. If you've not done so, subscribe, leave us a rating or a review wherever you get your podcast. It really helps us and we really appreciate it. Thanks for lending us your ears. Have a great week, everybody. And we'll see you here next Monday. Bye.